The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The Supreme Court hasn't changed much since moving into its massive marble, marble building in 1935. The tables for the lawyers still have quill pens on them. The Chief Justice writes his opinions in longhand. And cameras remain forbidden in the courtroom. So it was actually news when the Supreme Court announced recently it would require briefs to be filed electronically and it would make them available to everyone online. It was a step toward the kind of transparency that critics say is often lacking at the court. Our guest is someone whose professional mission is to make the court more open and accountable. He's Gabe Roth, the executive director of the group Fix the Court. Gabe, thanks for joining us. I want to start by playing a clip of something Chief Justice John Roberts said in 2011. We are the most transparent branch of government. Um, everything we do that has an impact is done in public. Gabe, his point was that the court's most important, really its only important output are its decisions. And those are things where they include the reasoning, they put those out in the public. Uh, so is the Chief Justice right that the court is actually the most transparent uh, branch of the government? He's not, Greg. He's not at all. The The court, while its opinions may be posted online and, and distributed uh, within minutes of them being handed down from the bench, the fact remains that if you are a public official in 2017, there are certain responsibilities that you have to the public, doesn't matter if you're a life tenure like the justices are or not. And the fact that you can't experience the cases of the court live unless you're one of the lucky few who gets into the courtroom on argument day, you don't know very much about their travel, their stock ownership, their potential conflicts of interest. It's not like the justices overall uh, are in trouble. It's not like they're they're uh, unethical people. But if you are going to have a life tenure position in the federal government, there should be a, a little modicum of transparency in terms of the way the institution works and the outside activities of the individuals who are part of that institution. With with all that being said, does the court get some credit in your mind for this this new step with regard to electronic filing and making uh, they say they will make essentially every brief that is filed with them available to the public online? Oh, absolutely. They they credit where credit is due. They Chief Justice Roberts said in 2014 that this was going to happen within the next year or two. I guess it took a little longer to work out the kinks, and there's there's still a few kinks on the on the website. Uh, in addition to the e-filing, the website was uh, was remade within the last few weeks. So, so yeah, they absolutely get credit for this. I mean, every other federal appeals court in the country has been doing this for years. Uh, most state courts have been doing this for years. So, but uh, th there's as as the court likes to say, there are reasons that they're 
the architecture, one of the architectural features of the building is turtles. The, the court moves slowly, uh, jurisprudentially, and on transparency issues. Um, but I'm young and I'm patient, and I'm going to keep pushing them to, uh, to, to, to become more transparent across the board. But yes, they do, they do get credit for doing something that they should have done a decade ago. So I want to move to the subject that's, that's always a big one, which is uh, television cameras, which, of course, are, are forbidden in the Supreme Court. You can't sure. bring, it, bring a still camera in there. Um, nominees, when they get nominated to the court, tend to express at least some openness to the idea of, of cameras there. Now, Neil Gorsuch was perhaps less open than some previous nominees were. And then they join the court – um, and they seem a little less open to it. Um, is, is there some reason you think that happens that maybe speaks to the notion that maybe once they get there, they actually realize uh, there are some downsides to, to having cameras there? I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't necessarily buy that argument about becoming a member of the court and then changing the mind. I think it really has to do with the fact that there is a a fairly uh, stark generational split at the court. Some of the justices were born. You think about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Anthony Kennedy, uh, Stephen Breyer, and also the late Justice Scalia. Some of them were born in the 30s. So they were growing up. They were not having the ubiquity of television uh, as someone like you or I or anyone born after 1960 has. And, and, And as justices become younger overall, they get more used to the idea that uh, if you're in public service, if, if you're a public figure, uh, to use a, a legal term, if you're a public figure, there's not, not the expectation – I mean there is the expectation that you're going to be filmed on a fairly regular basis. So I think it's – there are a few holdouts to maybe you're part of the older, older generation. But I think that within a few years, once the generational – generations have turned on the court, that, that we'll, get, we'll get cameras. More importantly, though, we, it's, it's more immediacy that we're after. If, if live – you know, the Supreme Court, we learned in the last year, has the capability of – allowing uh, live audio from the courtroom. They live audio broadcast a Scalia memorial. So it's less, you know, look, it's about the the, the visuals, but but to me as a, as a former journalist, it's, it's, it's more about the immediacy, uh, about uh, ensuring that the oral arguments of the 65 or 70 cases that the court hears each year is capable in real time for the evening news or the afternoon news um, in, in the most modern way possible. And that's... Uh, audio live streaming, and then hopefully we'll get cameras a few years after that. Gabe, I want to uh, play for you something else that that uh, John Roberts said about the idea of, of televising Supreme Court arguments. Um, let me actually just do that, do that in just a second. Let me f- first ask you, um, other than cameras, if there's one other thing you, could, you would want the Supreme Court to do to become more transparent, what would you pick? I think it would be uh, stock ownership. Only three of the current justices own individual stocks, so stocks in individual companies, uh, whether it be Cisco or spelled both ways, actually, um, or HP or uh, uh, Johnson Controls. The, only Breyer, Alito, and Roberts own stocks in individual companies. And the reasons are you know, Roberts invested when he was at a law partner, Breyer and his wife were active investors in the past. Alito's father-in-law uh, bequeathed a bunch of stocks to him when he passed away. But there's no reason that they should. these three, contrary to the other six, are owning individual stocks because there's so many cases. We have such a litigious society. 7,000 petitions come to the Supreme Court every year. And we don't want these unnecessary recusals caused by having these individual stocks. The justices should instead own uh, blended funds or mutual funds 
like the like their the other six counterparts and instead should divest from individual stocks from the time that they're on the bench in order to reduce the amount for potential conflicts of interest. Let, let me go ahead and play that clip from John Roberts talking about uh, why he's opposed to televising Supreme Court arguments. People say, you know, every other government institutions have been opened up, but I, uh, it'd be interesting to know what governmental institutions people think function better now that they're on television. What do you think about that? Uh, about a minute left. Would, sure. Would they function better? Uh, I, you know, it's, I think it's an apples to oranges comparison. You think of Congress on C-SPAN. They're using those clips in their charts uh, to run for office, to run for re-election, to, to sort of denigrate the other, the other party a lot of times. The justices don't, don't do that. They have, you know, for better or worse, they have life tenure. And the, the idea that anything would ch- – I mean, you know, empirically we know when cameras are uh, used in appellate courts the world over, from the Supreme Court of Ohio to the Supreme Court of Brazil, nothing changes All that ch- uh, from the quality of the argument and the quality of what happens legally. All that changes is that the American people or the people who are not able to make it to the courtroom are able to understand their government better. And I think there's no better time than now when where there's a clear a civic deficit in this country to have – the, the citizens of this country understand what's going on at the top court in the land. I want to thank our guest, Gabe Roth, executive director of Fix the Court. That's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks to our technical director, Chris Tricomi, and our producer, David Sutterman. Coming up on Bloomberg Radio, Bloomberg Markets with Corey Johnson. Stay tuned for that and more here on Bloomberg Radio. This is Bloomberg. Osage County, Oklahoma, is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story, about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth, and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.